You know, I wasn't even supposed to be here this weekend. I was supposed to be in New York City. I was supposed to be with my wife on a couple getaway, and we were going to go see a Broadway show on Friday night. I was surprising my wife with tickets to Kill a Mockingbird. And the reason that we were going to be in New York, kind of the good excuse, was that my cousin Noah was getting, wedding, getting married, and I was going to be performing the wedding. And so was incredibly excited for the buildup this weekend, had been meeting virtually with Noah and Sarah over the phone and doing all the premarital counseling and the buildup and anticipation to the great wedding ceremony. And come Monday, you know, we were still doing it, but there were going to be some people who weren't going to come. And then come Tuesday, a few more people had dropped out. Wednesday, even a few more people dropped out. Come Wednesday night, we were supposed to leave Thursday morning. I had to let the bride and the groom know that things were changing so rapidly, that everything was so fluid, that there was no way that even we could come. And we were making other arrangements for somebody else to stand in for me in New York City and to do the wedding And by the time we got to Friday afternoon, they had canceled their own wedding ceremony celebration, and you could just tell that the couple were really sad. We found an opportunity, though, through a connected church and through a mutual friend to be able to have their worship ceremony, even though it was going to be private, even though it wasn't going to be what they expected, but on Friday afternoon, Noah and Sarah got married in the chapel of the Fifth Avenue Presbyterian Church. And here's the thing. This wasn't what they anticipated. It wasn't what they expected. And it certainly wasn't what they wanted at all. But what we also know to be true is that the love was going to continue. The marriage was going to begin. That this new relationship was going to take off regardless of whether or not they had the actual ceremony that they had always anticipated. What was going to be called upon them was a holy sense of flexibility and creativity. There were going to be some things that changed, and there were going to be some things that were going to continue ahead. Let me be very clear. We at the church are not closed, but we are going to have to be creative and flexible in order for things to continue in the way that we know that they're supposed to. You know, what's being asked of us right now is a term that none of us had ever heard of before until like a week ago, social distancing. And with this term, I think the CDC provides this one graphic that I think helps to explain why we're doing what we're doing and why this is so significant, that we need to distance from one another, lovingly detaching in a little bit in order to be able to give our healthcare workers and our healthcare system the kind of bandwidth and margin that it needs in order to be able to combat this disease. There was a great case study that was lifted forward in an Atlantic article journal citing the difference in the Spanish flu epidemic of 1918, of the difference between the city of Philadelphia's response and the city of St. Louis's response. In St. Louis, they canceled the parade. In Philadelphia, they didn't. And many, many extra lives were unnecessarily lost because they weren't willing to distance themselves in that city. What is social distancing? Pretend that you're a parent 
of a teenage child and what you hope for your child, that's what social distancing is. You want to keep them as far away from people as possible. But in all seriousness, this is an opportunity for us to figure out how to learn how to live together differently as we go through these next weeks and months together. And, and I got to admit, it's, I'm glued to my phone, I'm glued to my computer, to all the news, and we're looking to our leaders for guidance. I mean, we are passionately seeking some sort of truth, the latest information, and if you're anything like me, you're, you're confused by the kind of advice that we're getting right now. That on the one hand, you'll have certain leaders that say, you know what, this is overblown, this is way out of proportion, and what everybody needs to do is they just need to calm down. And on the other hand, you see other leaders who are saying that we're not doing enough and that the sky is falling. And you're like, wait, we're looking at the same situation, we're looking at the same reality, and we're getting very different conflicting advice about what to do. It reminds me of a time when I was going to go backpacking in one of our national parks and I was going on a solo trip and I was kind of nervous about the bears. And so I went up to a park ranger and I asked the park ranger, I said, listen, when I see a bear, what am I supposed to do? And that park ranger's like, I'm glad you asked. Here's what you do. You make as much noise as possible. You get as really big as you can and you try to scare off that bear. If you've got a pot or a pan, you should bang it and try to scare off that bear. And I'm like, okay, okay, all right, I'm scaring off the bear. I'm getting really big, I'm gonna do that. And then, and then I went up to another park ranger before I got to the trailhead and I said, hey, out of curiosity, if I run into a bear, what do you think I ought to do? And that park ranger's like, I'm glad you asked. Let me tell you, here's what you do. You drop your pack you get really small and quiet and you play dead. And I'm like, wait a minute. One of those two park rangers are wrong. You can't possibly be thinking about that both of those reactions are the faithful one. And so we keep going to different news outlets, social media, all these different things, and we're looking for what we're supposed to do, how we're supposed to respond in a moment like this. And our economic leaders, our business leaders, our civic leaders, our political leaders, they're all giving us this kind of conflicting advice. To me, there's something that's missing from the swirl of the noise. And if there's anything that I can do this morning, what I'd love to do is to turn up the volume on a single, solitary voice that seems to be missing from so much of what we need to hear today. And it'll come as no surprise to you, that voice is the voice of Jesus Christ. In the most important address that Jesus ever gave that's known as the Sermon on the Mount, he talked about how we can all be blessed and that What's important is to recognize is that things may not always appear as they seem. And then Jesus starts to give some very specific instructions. And it's like rapid fire, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. And eventually, he says, and you've got to do this. And so what I'd love to do is I'd, I'd love to share with you this morning and revisit some of that wisdom of Jesus and bring it to bear upon our moment in time. And the first thing that Jesus says don't do is to don't store up for yourselves treasures on earth. 
This is particularly true at Costco <laughs> and the grocery store. You don't need a six-month supply of toilet paper. No matter how much the panic gets, that's just called hoarding. And the main thing that I want you to hear from me out of this is that there's a form of panic that's taking in kind of taking into consideration the economic insecurity of I've got to have everything as if I need it all. I want to be very clear with you, no matter how much money you have, no matter how many resources you have, you cannot buy your way out of this disease. We're going to need one another, and we're going to need to rely on one another to buy enough of what we need without going over the top of hoarding so much, storing up so much that others aren't able to get access to the resources that they need, whether that's medical supplies, whether that's water or food, whatever it is. Jesus says you cannot have two masters. You will either serve the one and love the other or be devoted to the one and hate the other. You can't serve both God and our wealth. We think because we live in such a wealthy society, we live with this illusion of control that is complete falsehood. It's a lie. That is not where our security comes from. Our security comes from the love of God. And so don't store up treasures on earth. The second do not that Jesus provides is he says, do not worry. And what he's saying by that is don't worry about your life, about what you will eat or about your body or what you will wear. Isn't life more than food and clothing? And I love what he says. He says, and by your worry, can you add one single hour to the span of your life? We ought to put that up on our refrigerators and on the mirrors in our bathroom. By your worry, can you add one single hour to the span of your life? And the answer of that, of course, is no. You cannot, by worrying about something, actually do something about it. In fact, the Bible says that worrying and praying are opposites of one another. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, pray. And so when you feel yourself starting to meditate on all the fears and the anxieties and the insecurities that you're experiencing as we go through these difficult times, turn those worries into your prayers. And that is where the Lord is near and where he will meet you. Jesus says, do not worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough worries of its own. Each day brings its own trouble. And so don't get swept up into the fear portion of the epidemic and not just the disease that we need to combat. And so Jesus says, don't store up. He also says, don't worry. He also says, don't judge. This is really important because we are living in an era where blame is the order of how we relate to one another in society. And so I want to be very clear about this. We will not be able to blame our way through this epidemic. There's no way to do it. 
Everybody wants to stand up for their rights, but nobody is wanting to stand up for their responsibility. I actually believe we have a crisis of responsibility right now in our society. And so that means Democrats, when you look at the current administration, this is not your golden opportunity to just cast blame in order to seize this as a political moment. This moment is bigger than that. And Republicans, the same is true for us. For all of us, whether we're Democrats or Republicans, for all of us, one of the things that we need to recognize is that Republicans can't see this as just blaming the former government or blaming that this was a foreign invasion of some kind. We have got to be willing to set aside all of the blame and to be able to trust and love one another. Do not judge, or you too will be judged, for in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. The political system has to start working for us as a community and not seeking its own self-interest. And so Jesus says, don't store up treasures in heaven, don't worry, don't judge. And then finally, he also says, don't pretend. More specifically, he says, don't be a hypocrite. Don't be an actor. Don't pretend to be more spiritual than you are. You know, one of the things that's going to happen in this moment in time, in this great shift of what's happening in our society, is you're about to discover the difference between real spirituality and false spirituality. You're about to see the difference between real faithfulness and a shallow form of faithfulness. Jesus gives different practices like that of generosity and fasting and praying. And if we do these things only for our own sakes or only to be seen for others, then we will have our reward. One of the things that's going to be a test of us as a church is when nobody's watching, do I log in and participate in the church when nobody can see if I'm there or not? The false spirituality of how we live out our call right now will be tested and pretending will be exposed in this moment in time. The world is watching church and the world is desperately hoping for the church to rise up, not just with the voice of Jesus, but with the hands and the feet of Jesus because the world needs Jesus to draw close to us in this moment in time. So Jesus gives all these different, do not, do not, do not, do not, do not. And it builds to this huge crescendo of this one thing you've got to do right now. Jesus says in Matthew chapter seven, verse 12, the summary of the law and the prophets is this, do to others as you would have them do to you. And so when you go to the grocery store, this is called the golden rule. You need to have the golden rule with you as you go to the grocery store, as you figure out what to buy. Do to others as you would have them do to you. When you're checking in on your neighbors, which, by the way, all of our neighbors are actually home, and you don't know your neighbors, and this is your golden opportunity in order to get to know your neighbors. Check in on your neighbors. Do to others as you would have them do unto you. As you pray, pray for our healthcare professionals and our workers. Do to others as you would have them do to you. This ought to be the one thing that we wake up every single morning thinking about. This this wonderful rule of Jesus that gives us an incredible opportunity to be able to cut through all of the clutter of all the noise and all of the confusion. And what do I do in this moment in time? 
do to others as you would have them do to you. This summarizes all the rest of the Old Testament, Jesus says. If we could do that, if we could actually put that golden rule kind of living into practice, then the emptying of our church would have been a blessing. That instead of being huddled here, we would have been scattered throughout, strategically located by the Spirit of God into neighborhoods and special places where we could alone enact the love of Jesus Christ in a way that we wouldn't if we were just here. And so see this limitation as an opportunity. I saw a great example of a golden rule kind of living uh, this week in the news. There was this woman who's from Oregon, and this woman from Oregon, I want to show you her picture. She was making her way in the parking lot of the grocery store to a Safeway entrance, and she noticed that as she was making her way there, that there was this elderly couple huddled together in a car with the car still running. And you could just tell that they were waiting for something. She went over to the car and they lowered the window just a little bit. And she asked them if everything was okay. And they said that they were in their 80s and that they had read that they were particularly susceptible and vulnerable to this disease and that they they were afraid to get out of their car. And so this young woman said, is there anything that I can get for you? And they handed through the window of the car that slip of paper that had all the things that they needed on it. And this young adult went into the grocery store and bought what they needed and put it in the trunk. And then they thanked her. That is the kind of golden rule type of living that is what the calling is of the church right now in this moment of time. It is a quiet faithfulness and most of it will never, ever, ever see social media or the news because what sells is the panic and the fear and yet what we are called is to live out in faith and in trust. That's why we follow Jesus Christ because He has given us that mission to live out together. And so in the weeks to come, we're, you know, going to set aside all of what our plans were in ministry. And I have no idea what I'm preaching on in the weeks to come, but I know that I've shelved all what my other plans were. And we're going to figure it out together. Here's one thing I know. I know that in this moment in time, the ministry of the church is just as desperately needed as it was before. A few weeks ago, I was in India with our ministry partner and a team from this church. And I knew that one of the hardest visits for me is when we were going to go to a particular home, dorm-like accommodation for girls who have been rescued from human trafficking. And I was prepared in that moment. I was, 
I was prepared for the trauma. I was prepared for hearing the stories of their rescue. You know what I was not prepared for? When I walked through the door, I was ill-equipped to receive the joy, the love, the gratitude that for 10 years Peachtree has helped to care for and to provide a place to be able to pull girls out of the largest human trafficking district in the world and to provide a sanctuary, a place for them. And when I got in there, there were mostly teenage girls, and yet there were these two little girls who were three and four years old, and they came over to me just a couple weeks ago, and they handed this to me. And this, this contains the art of their handprints of a three- and a four-year-old girl who were rescued and wanted to say thank you to this congregation that's halfway around the world. I want to show you a picture of what it was like to receive this and to have them show me their hands that matched the ones of this, the greatest thank you card I've ever received. And then you know what they did next? They began to sing. They began to sing in their own native language of Hindi. And I didn't know the words of what they were gonna sing until I recognized the tune. And then, oh, I knew what they were singing. And we were able to capture it and we don't show their faces for anonymity reasons. But I want to catch you with a little bit of a glimpse of what worship can look like around the world.
For most of Christian history, we have prayed with our eyes open. And so I want to look at you and towards you 
as I pray to Almighty God on our behalf. Almighty God, right now, scattered around this city and maybe even around this nation is the flock that is Peachtree. And I pray that wherever they are, you will meet them with a gift of friendship. That right now, Lord, we are being asked to do social distancing, but that does not mean spiritual distancing. That you will bring us together as a spiritual community to do to others in the way that you have called us to do. And so, Heavenly Father, I pray for the flock that is Peachtree, that you will protect them, that you will keep them safe, but that you will also send them out to do the work of ministry that they alone can do in these times. Fill us with courage, God, and enable us to be your hands and feet in the world furthering the ministry of the restoration of all things. And so, Holy Spirit, bless us. And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. When I came and shared with you for the first time in this sanctuary, I preached on the very passage that was read at my wedding, Romans 12, 9 through 18. And so let's allow this to be our marching orders once again Let your love be genuine, hate what is evil, and hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection and outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal, but be ardent in spirit and serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and extend hospitality to strangers. Bless even those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly and never claim to be wiser than you really are. And if it's possible, so far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. And may it be so.